This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at afsp.org slash talkawaythedark. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Most students attending so-called four-year colleges expect to finish in just that, four years. But a new study from the University of Chicago found that's often not the case. It's especially true for Chicago Public Schools grads. Only 30% of them end up finishing college in four years, much lower than the national average. We spoke with the co-authors of that UChicago study, Jenny Nagaoka and Alexandra Usher, to break down their findings. And we also spoke with Brian Harris, director of College Pathways at Chicago Public Schools, to talk through what the district is doing to address this. I started off by asking Jenny whether this was a surprise to her. I mean, in a lot of ways... No. I mean, because we know that the pathways that students take through college are really complicated. And this is true for Chicago public school graduates, but it's also true of students across the country. For everyone. For everyone. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen when students go to college. You can transfer, you can take time off, Mm -hmm. you can take Life starts lifing. (laughs) And it takes longer to finish. Absolutely. Uh, Why look at this metric in the first place, though, Alex? Um, I think we were curious to see, is there a difference if you look at a six-year graduation rate versus a four-year graduation rate? Um, And one of the reasons is because a lot of the resources that you see, if you look, if you Google like college search tools or even college websites themselves, the rates that you're seeing for graduation are actually six-year rates. And so we wanted to know, does it matter if we look at whether students graduate in six versus four years Mm -hmm. as we're helping prepare students to make plans for post-secondary? And I'm curious, why the class of 2014? specifically. Yeah, that just has to do with the data that we're able to access. Um, and we give students that six years to finish um, to finish their degree. And so we wanted to back it up enough to have um, enough data in there. What other questions were you hoping to answer through this study, Jenny? I mean, I think there's, you know, I think a lot of it was just to understand, like, what are the differences? Because I think Ultimately, what we care about is whether or not students graduate, and that's what the six-year rate tells us. But I think we also know that college is tremendously expensive. And when you start college, you expect to finish in four years. And so, like, how many students are actually meeting that benchmark? And to really think about, like, especially on the higher ed side, what can we be doing to make sure that it's much more possible for more students to be completing within four years? Mm-hmm. Brian, let's bring you in here. I'm, I'm curious, your initial res, uh, reaction to the study's results. So to be honest, uh, my initial reaction was to be affirmed um, because a large portion of the study mentioned our, uh, the trends in our completion rates overall, right? Um, in 2004, um, we had 23% uh, 
completion rates in within four years. Um, and I believe it was 48% over um, six years, right? And so, one, we've seen the the gap shrink between the number of students who are completing in four years as comparison to, to six years. Um, but in that time as well, we've increased the number of students we're sending to college. So three things are happening. We're increasing the number of students we're sending to college. Mm-hmm. They are graduating in a shorter amount of time. And we're increasing the number of graduates overall. We're talking about an extra th- multiple thousands per year, right? Yeah. And so um, that's my initial reaction. In terms of the actual gap itself, as Jenny mentioned, it's a national trend. We weren't uh, particularly surprised. Yeah, and and the study isn't necessarily figuring out why it's taking students longer, Mm -hmm. Brian. So in your view, what are some of the the factors that are contributing to the timeline, you think? So we have to keep in context who our students are, right? And, And I, I speak this from a personal lens as as a black male myself, right? So I fit within um, one of the demographics um, that we're talking about. Most of our students are low income, and, and most of them are are, are black and brown. Yeah. And as you said, life 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 lives, right? Right. Oh, <laughs> well, that's how my kids say it. Yeah, yeah. In life, life be life in. <laughs> in in life lives. Um, in in particularly uh, nuanced ways for often people of color and yeah. low-income folks, right? Well, you mentioned yeah. black males specifically, right? But of the CPS graduates in the study, uh, young black men were the group with the lowest graduation rates from college, with 13% graduating within four years. Mm-hmm. So this is personal to you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what do you think is needed to address the gap? So... One, keep in mind, these are 2014 grads. Right. Um, the things that um, are needed are some of the things, uh, many of it, those things are things we're already doing, right? And so, for instance, the class of 2023 had 49% of our students earning um, some type of early college credit, um, which both increases the rigor available to our students and ensures that um, they're decreasing the amount of money required to graduate, right? Because we know that we need to um, support with those financial obstacles. We need to support with that academic readiness. And those were resources that weren't necessarily available in in uh, 2014. Almost so a decade the ago. Acad- yep, yeah. the academic support, the financial support, $2 billion worth of scholarships our students earned last year, um, the, the highest ever. Um, so, again, reemphasizing those those financial resources, reemphasizing that academic um preparedness yeah. and reemphasizing um, that we need to prepare our practitioners and our students um, to have the necessary conversations to prepare um, students on that fit piece um, for what it means to be a, a college student. Yeah. And, and Alex and Jenny, I mean, there's nothing shameful with having to take more than four years to finish college. Right. Um, but when students do take longer to finish, they often have to foot a higher tuition bill. That's no secret. Uh, talk more about how that can affect low-income students, Alex. Yeah, that's right. So I think we're a bit agnostic, like Jenny said, as to whether it takes students four, five, or six years. Um, there are a lot of really good reasons. You know, a lot of programs take five years to complete. Um, like you said, life happens. Um, but it is that our concern, I think, is that students are planning for that and that they're aware of that going in as they and their family are making plans, either with loans or scholarships or just logistics in general, that they're um, aware and informed of how long it might take them. Yeah. And and as we said, a lot of students are going into college and they're expecting to graduate in four years. But Jenny, would you say that's realistic on a national level? 
I mean, it's, we know it's a common that a lot of students are taking longer than four years. So I don't want to say it's not realistic because there's this pressure to get done in four. There completely is. I mean, it's a financial pressure, but I think there's also just like this social pressure. I mean, you arrive oh, on campus, for sure. right? Your and it's peers like, that you start with, yeah, you your don't friends. dare want to see them walk across the stage and you're not also part of that graduating class, right? Yeah, exactly. And you're, you're, you're sort of like identified as like, you know, you are the class of 2024. And like, you know, and if you're supposed to be a senior this year, you're part of the class of 2024. And then you realize that you're not going to be, you're not going to be walking across that stage. And then next fall, a lot of your friends and people you started school with are no longer there. And that's like a really hard process i'm sure for a lot of students lot and of i students. think part of it too is normalizing that like you were saying um our study found that this affects students from all sorts of backgrounds academic levels all mm -hmm. sorts of different high schools across the city and like brian said it's a national problem as well so this isn't you know if that is the case for a student it's not something necessarily to be ashamed about it's it's happening across the board and as we talk about affordability brian how does that come into the conversations, you know, when you're talking post-secondary options with the students? Like, do you talk about affordability and do you talk about the, the realities of how long it might take to graduate with the students? Yeah, so we have uh, within CPS an actual advising framework um, that focuses on three, three primary factors. Match, uh, how your academic profile fits the academic profile of the institutions that you're interested in fit um, how the environmental factors that you're looking for um, fit what you're uh, fit the institution right and then affordability is actually literally listed as a, a primary tenant and the way that we define affordability is uh, by combining an analysis of cost risk and return and so when we're talking about risk and return we're talking about hey think about how long it's going to take to graduate think about the cost that's going to go mm. into it um, and make sure you're making a post-secondary selection that is going to be worth it for you. Right? What, what are you hearing directly from the students when you're having those conversations, right? Like what kinds of challenges do you hear from them as they're trying to figure out their post-secondary paths? Well, I mean, I would bring it back to consider who our student population is, right? We are dealing with mostly low-income students. So affordability is at top of mind when thinking of, when making a college selection. You could go the whole year thinking you're headed to a particular institution. And then when you get that award level, you get that bill, everything changes. You may mm -hmm. have to start from ground zero, right? right? So one of the things we try to do is have affordability conversations as early as possible, right? This is built into our curriculum um, that we use with students in, the, in sixth grade, right? Wow. So we want to um, have these conversations as early as possible so that we are including institutions on, um, on students' college lists that are predictably affordable, right? And also making sure they take advantage of the uh, scholarships um, that are available to them um, to ensure that that um, college is not going to be a financial burden uh, to them. So taking longer to finish college, uh, this persisted. Uh, we've talked a bit about the black male category here, but this persisted, Jenny, across gender, mm -hmm. race, ethnicity, ACT scores, GPAs. Um, you also saw this happening across all school types. So this includes you know, selective enrollment schools in CPS, right? Can you break some of that down? And, and what does that tell you? 
I mean, I think really what it, I mean, there's there's a difference across the board. I mean, you know, the rates are higher at certain types of schools or for students with higher, um, higher GPAs, higher ACT scores, but there is a difference. And I think it kind of just goes back to, you know, what we were talking about earlier, like life happens for everybody, right? And there's reasons why students take longer than four years. And so I think this is also a big part of, you know, breaking the stigma and breaking this like clear expectation, like if you don't finish in four years, there's something wrong with you. Mm. I think where we're trying to really push the changes to happen is on the higher ed side too, to like get rid of some sort of like structural barriers in terms of like prerequisite courses or courses that aren't offered that are required for graduation or to make sure that um, the kinds of supports that students need, especially um, low-income first-generation college students that can turn into bumps in the road, um, where something that's maybe small for mo- a lot of people, but on the other hand, um, your car breaking down and having to pay for that so you can get to campus can turn to something that can mean that a student will not be able to attend classes anymore, will have to leave college for a term until they can figure it out. Yeah. So I want to hear from you all on this. Uh, what kinds of solutions or support do you think students broadly need? Um, from a district level. I'll, I'll start with you, Alex. Um, gosh, I really refer defer to Brian as the expert here, but um, I think what the data showed is just um, planning around the fact that it might take more than four years and being conscious of that as your, you and your family are making your plans. Mm-hmm. Um, the district's done a ton of work around supporting students um, to make successful post-secondary pathways, and um, I think that's just one more piece of information for their toolbox. Yeah, and you were talking, uh, Jenny, about solutions that uh, and supports that students need from the college level, right? Higher ed. Right, and so I mean there's some things that like some colleges have started to do because I think there's increasing recognition that, you know, I think the good news about what's happening locally and across our country is that more and more students of different types of backgrounds are going to college so that there are a lot more first-generation low-income students on college campuses And so colleges need to adjust. They need to realize, and I think this is happening. I'm not saying this isn't happening across college campuses, but you know, when you're when this, you have to colleges have to also be ready for the students that are coming to them and understanding that um, there's food insecurity, there's housing insecurity, there's any types of like smaller financial pieces. Tuition is not the only financial barrier for students attending colleges. Mm-hmm. There's just kind of the life expenses and the life bumps in the road that just happen all the time. And colleges, you know, kind of need to recognize this and think about ways that they can be bringing in different types of services, whether it's on their campus or within the community. And you're agreeing, Brian. Give us your final thoughts here on on solutions and and supports for for students. Right. So, um, you know, on that financial piece, right, like we emphasize finances on our end, but we can't touch necessarily everything. And despite the fact that we're trying, like we have an alumni engagement um, arm of of our office that that can even provide emergency funding to support the persistence of of, of our students. But one of the things we want to do is continue the collaboration with the higher ed institutions, um, continue to work on our relationship with them. We actually have what's called our college compact in which um, we, what's bring, that? we bring together um, institutions where we see a lot of CPS students matriculate and collaboratively, collaboratively come up with solutions for how we're going to get them enrolled, how we're going to keep them there, how we're going to get them to uh, graduation, right? Um, and through those partnerships, um, uh, innovation sprouts, right? We're able to say like, hey, these students at this particular institution could really use a specific scholarship to help support with summer housing, right? Um, to support with, hey, they need a book scholarship, right? Um, 
And so that increased collaboration between the district and our higher education partners is something I think we'll continue to invest in yeah. um, to ensure that um, our students are, uh, are, conti- are successful even beyond uh, when they leave our buildings. That's Brian Harris, Director of College Pathways for Chicago Public Schools, Jenny Nakaoka, and Alex Usher of the University of Chicago. And we've been talking about a study showing most CPS students take longer than four years to finish college. Thank you all so much. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. This episode was produced and edited by Max Lubers and Linnea Dominic. For more conversation like this one, check out our full catalog of interviews about the news that matters most to Chicagoans at wbez.org slash reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.